This week on the Vergecast, Tom Warren joins me in theater. We talk about the Service Duo review, the Galaxy Z Fold 2 review, Android 11, get into the new Xbox, the Series S and Series X pricing was revealed, and there's an Apple event next week. You got to preview that. Coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast of ever-changing hardware form factors. See? See mm-hmm. what I did there, dude? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a riff on your, your video. Yeah. Because it's the future. All right. I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm also your friend this week, for sure. The audience has such a testy relationship with you. <laughs> I'm very tired. I don't know what to tell you. Dieter made like five videos this week. It's been a lot. Yeah, yeah. Tom Warren is here. Hey, Tom. Hello. I, I am from Britain. Hello, old chaps. <laughs> good. Sorry, I have to say that every time I come here. A lot to talk about this week. Service Duo, Galaxy Z Fold 2, Android 11. That's why Dieter has been so busy. Tom has been cranking away at Xbox News. There's an Apple event next week. Just a lot to get through. We obviously have our usual set of updates. I'm going to start with some Verge news. Yay! That's a, that's a new thing. We don't usually do that. But you might have seen if you're on Twitter today or if for some reason you were watching the advertising-focused podcast upfronts. <laughs> uh, we had, some of you were. Some of you work at agencies. I We have some news. I feel weird because it's about me. I'm usually very confident when it comes to Verge. When it's about me, I, I like just have lost my bearings. But here's the news. Kara Swisher is launching a new podcast at the New York Times called Sway. You can go listen mm-hmm. to it. It's going to be great. There, she's leaving Recode Decode, her podcast at Vox Media. We're taking the feed. Yeah. It's a thing we're going to do. And we're launching a new show called Decoder with Neil Patel on the Recode Decode feed next month. This is very exciting. It's very exciting. We added one letter to the name. Very clever. <laughs> Decoder with Neil Patel. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to take the interview episodes we've been doing for over a year now on the Vergecast. I want to expand it a little bit. I want to get a little bit more into the business side of things. But we're going to take the interview episodes, move them into a new show called Decoder with Neil Patel on the Decode feed, and just kind of expand out into the way tech is uh, changing business, like across the board. So on the Vergecast, we're really focused on tech. We've obviously talked a lot about policy recently. It's like impossible to avoid. There's a bunch of other stuff that we haven't been able to quite get to. Uh, I'm really interested in the number of businesses that have just managed to build themselves uh, like a robust business uh, using things like Facebook and Instagram, using things like Shopify. I'm interested in Shopify. That's not something we would normally talk about on the Vergecast. It's not consumer tech. So we're just going to expand the, the frame a little bit and really get into tech and business 
still talk to the same kinds of characters we've been talking to CEOs, leaders, policymakers, basically any Warner Media executive <laughs> who will who will dare to come on the show. <laughs> but we're taking the interview episode, changing the name Decoder with Nina Patel, moving it to Recode Decode. That's happening in October. I'm very excited about it. Obviously, taking over Kara Swisher's feed. I could screw it up. I'm hoping not to. That's my plan. Yeah, it'll be fine. We made a plan. It's one point. It says don't screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get through it. Uh, But that's happening in October. What we're going to do in the meantime, next week will be our my last interview episode on the feed. Then Mm -hmm. Dieter's going to do some Tuesday shows while we build up the new show. And then that the new show decoder will launch in October. And then we're going to figure out something else to do as a second show. Right. I don't know what it is. If you if you have ideas, let us know. I, I I got one. But we'll we'll see what happens. Verge Mobile Podcast. <laughs> Verge Mobile Show. It's going to be great. Ver, the, uh, what, we had an Engadget. We had like the Engadget HD podcast. Yeah. Oh, wow. You just, you just talked about Blu-ray versus HD nonstop. Oh, wait, I've got it. I've got it. Verge 8K 5G podcast. Yeah, yeah. And the Verge Fox <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Every week, Josh Judges says, up. he's like, well, they still haven't built a factory. Um <laughs> Uh, no news to report. Anyway, that's all happening, Decoder. It's very exciting coming in October, starting with news about ourselves. So it goes. We we don't do it usually. So I, I apologize, but I'm excited about it. If people want to subscribe to your new show, Neelai, what, what should they do? So right now you could go subscribe to the Recode Decode feed. You get right now they're running Kara's Greatest Hits. So that's very interesting. You go subscribe to Recode Decode. And then in October we'll do a whole thing about Decoder. I promise it's coming. I'm just like very worried this company is going to put my face on like the side of a bus. Like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be great. This company put your face on a like 300 foot tall electronic billboard in Las Vegas once, Eli. And for some reason, I was like, that's cool. And then for this <laughs> one, I'm like, yeah, ah. I was going to say, and you loved it. <laughs> I loved every second of it. It was amazing. Uh, but it was Vegas. We were like in a different time. Yeah. Anyhow, so that's that news. I'm excited about it. If you have thoughts about it, tweet at me. I'm reckless. I'm at reckless. Obviously interested in your feedback on ways to sort of expand the frame of our interview episodes. Okay. That's our news. Moving on to regular news. As always, got to start the show where we start the show. Mm-hmm. It's been 26 weeks since Donald Trump said there would be a testing site. That's exactly half a year, right? Uh, yes. It's it's one half of a year. Obviously, this week, there's the revelations that he, he Trump was downplaying the virus and the controversy about it. I will just come back to this over and over again. The way to solve it is a comprehensive testing plan that most people can access. It is very hard to do that. That website does not exist. 26 weeks since 45 million Google engineers uh, were tasked with building such a website. They have not yet produced it. Other COVID updates. Nicole Wetzman actually had a great piece about COVID security theater at airports. Mm. So the White House is moving to eliminate COVID temperature checks, symptom checks at airports for international travelers, which sounds bad. Uh, but if you read a piece, she makes a great point. Given the, the scale of the virus in this country versus other countries, the travelers to America stand a better chance of getting it from America than bringing it to it. But read it. It's a security theater is one of those things I think about all the time. Uh, just because I'm a brown man in the airport, my bag gets checked a lot. Uh, it's a real thing that happens. It is really interesting to think of, the value of doing those kinds of checks at airports. She wrote a great piece about it. Uh, and then Mary Beth had a great piece about pharmaceutical companies signing a vaccine safety pledge as they go into trials on vaccines. Uh, obviously, that there was a vaccine uh, this week already that was 
the testing was halted because of an adverse effect on a patient. The development of vaccines, how they work, where they come from, how they're tested, um, is an engineering problem in like a massive way. Even once it's developed, it has to be scaled and manufactured and built in a way that should be familiar to people who think about products the way we do. Um, and we're going to keep really close track of that as we go. Um, one last little bit of policy news. There's just more 230 noise in the world. There's some new bills this week. McKenna wrote about one. Trump <laughs> calls for the repeal of Section 230, which hilariously is uh, Joe Biden's policy proposal. I don't know that he has a lot of depth underneath it, to be honest with Biden. Um, but Casey wrote a great piece on just the vagary of what all these proposals are for. You should just read it to keep up on it, because I think it will start to heat up as we go into the election, as Facebook moderation, Twitter moderation gets hotter and hotter and hotter. So that's the policy stuff for this week, the COVID stuff for this week. Check it out on the site. Again, I say this every week. These are the things that are going to last out of 2020. I don't think the surface duo is, but Whoa. Whoa. I don't think we're going to look back in 2020 and be like, that was the year the surface duo came out, but <laughs> maybe we will. So we have to talk about it. So Dieter, you have just been in full review mode. Yeah. I, I only talk about and touch folding phones now. Um, so the surface duo, the Z fold two, I guess the, uh, the Z flip. So you want to start with the duo? Let's start with the duo. The duo so if you've been listening to the Vergecast, you know the duo had this. You know the duo had this very strange embargo, where lots of people had the hardware and they were not allowed to talk about the software. And so we knew what was happening. We were not allowed to discuss it. But it suddenly is very clear why Microsoft had this strange embargo because the hardware is great, interesting, novel, and the software has been. I mean, the software is a whole story. Yeah, no, I mean, so the the hardware is great, although you can find lots of things to quibble with. I don't know, I, I just discovered that I had I have a tiny chip on the fingerprint sensor just now after I published a review. Don't know how or why or what I did. So that's a thing. Um, but like the, the other hardware quibble is the screens have different color temperatures, and I thought it was just me, but like other reviewers are saying the same thing. The left one is a little bit redder, pinker than the right one. Is just, it consistently the left one? Apparently, yes. This is what mm -hmm. every, like, I've, I've seen more than one report of this. They, they were supposed to have sold that as well. Yeah, you'd think that it would just be like a like a, a roll of the dice, but nope, it's like the left one. That's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. And OLEDs are super hard to get right uh, because like getting them to getting an OLED to look like it has good color temperature is one thing. Getting two OLEDs to sit side by side to look like they have the same color temperature is something else entirely. And I think it's more difficult than it would be with an LCD. Uh, so like, it's not like it's an easy problem. Um, but anyway, yes, the hardware. Very good, uh, or at least, I don't know, other thing, but the camera is very good. Uh, <laughs> it's a very compelling device, uh, and really interesting. When we were not allowed to talk about the software, the software was so bad that um, it would. It, the plan was just, like, destroy this thing. Just, just, nope, can't use it. Everything is crashy. Everything is buggy. Everything is laggy. Nothing, nothing seems to work consistently for more than five minutes before you run into a huge problem. And this was true across the sort of ecosystem of reviewers that we know. Yes. Pretty, pretty much every review said the same thing. Yep. Yeah. And so the plan was, well, there's going to be a, a software update on release day. And I was like, cool. Well, you know what I'm not going to do, Microsoft, is say, don't worry, there's going to be a software update and it'll make things better when I say that it's bad because uh, we never trust those things. And they're like, ah. And then they gave us a software update. Um, I believe it was... 
for the Friday afternoon, the 4th or whatever that day is uh, before we're recording right now, which was great because I had literally just finished shooting the entire review video. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this is like a champagne. Like, Oh, no. Our, yeah, I know. Dieter's job. Like our jobs are like play with new things before they come out. But Dieter was very mad. I was like, well, I mean, I had to go back in and like redo the entire thing the next day, which is fine. Like uh, the the engineers at Microsoft who like made sure that software update could actually get out in time worked way harder than I did. Um, but, it, you know, it meant I had to redo a bunch of stuff. Uh, and it's what's fascinating is this is one of the very, very, very few. Like we promised that this software update that's coming out, that's going to fix the things that you've been seeing before the thing gets released. We'll fix it actually worked like i don't know 35% better maybe 40% better in terms of lags and bugs and weirdness uh not completely gone still problems uh but it went from well this is trash i can't use this to oh like this i like i'm having the moments that panos talked about where you like experience the flow and like things like it's really exciting um and then you still hit the lag or whatever but it's still it's it still hit a point where i could actually talk about the ideas that microsoft was chasing instead of just talking about their failures to get anything right in the software so tom you obviously have a window into microsoft yeah, yeah. they announced uh, this thing uh, last uh, october <laughs> oh my god I can't. We can't. I'm canceling the show. I'm starting a new <laughs> podcast. No, but they announced this thing in October. You wrote an entire story about you know how the how the how it came to be about mm -hmm. their attempts to build it with Windows. Yeah. With previous uh, device. How do they sh land in October of 2020 and it's still not quite ready on the software side? Yeah, that, I mean that's what I want to know. To be honest, because like it's it's strange. You, you, they they dropped the update on Friday. So, like, the, the usual way that software goes is they'll have, you know, an alpha, a beta, and sort of channels of progression before it hits devices. So, like, they must have had this update ready for weeks. So, like, why would they not just put that on the review units if they knew they were going to ship it day one? So, kind of strange. But it, broadly, I don't know how they've got to this point. Like, if they, if they finalize the hardware in... I mean, it would have been before October to show those units. Um, and maybe they're doing some tweaking on the PCBs and batteries yeah. and whatever else. Um, I don't understand why it's taken nearly a year to like finalize that, that software. Well, so like, in addition to that year there, uh, on this device specifically, Tom, can you just like, I think that unless you're, you're paying really close attention, you don't actually know that there's like a secret history to this device with Andromeda and the Surface Mini. Like Microsoft's decision to switch over to Android and then switch over to this particular kind of device uh, is a big deal because for a long time before that they were trying to do some other stuff. Yeah, so they so they were for for a little while. So essentially, you get this go back to the time of like 2014. They're about to launch the Surface Pro Free, um, which no one really knew about. That it was pretty secret, but everyone knew about the Surface Mini, um, which was supposed to be their tiny little tablet, um, and that was going to be a single screen device, kind of maybe fit in your pocket, but kind of not. Like it's eight inch, you know, whatever. Um, and they cancelled it like only a few weeks out probably like three or four weeks i think it was um they canned it and then they immediately swiveled towards the duo um well not immediately i mean six months say but it wasn't the duo it was something called andromeda um which was essentially a sort of fatter version <laughs> if you will, a thicker <laughs> version a chunky version uh of the surface duo um Two screens, you know, it's, it's the same sort of basic ideas, um, just not as refined, um, but running Windows. 
and running running not just you know your windows 10 or whatever a custom andromeda os so like a custom variant of windows that was specifically for all this sort of stuff which kind of we saw kind of took the this sort of form of windows 10x on the neo some some years later um but that was basically where that kind of all started um now i don't know exactly when they made the decision to switch to android and i feel like there was a story this week i think from david david pierce over at protocol i don't know if they i don't think they dated in there exactly when they made the switch to android though no they he they didn't date when they made the switch but they did say that it was this past summer or that past summer in 2019 when they brought in Hiroshi Lockheimer from Google and said, look what we've got. And Hiroshi's like, uh, oh, oh, hey. <laughs> Hiroshi um, said, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, that, lines, so, that makes sense, and that lines up um, with like the, the, the history that I know aside of the device. Um, but like Microsoft has never done an Android device, right? Like they obviously had um, Nokia and Nokia, however you want to say it, before they obviously dabbled with some android stuff um but not they've not really gone full-on into the android space um so this is this is the equivalent of them also like on the edge side they've gone into chromium which is something they you know they know about but they don't they don't know the actual the the, the dev process like as as deeply as as google obviously does um and the same with android you know they're, they're not an android phone maker so they've, they've had a year to like really align all of their dev processes and and really get on that code base and understand how to make software for it yeah, I mean, if you if you think about Microsoft's most important platforms, you've got Windows, yeah, and Office, Azure, and then I would mm-hmm. argue that Edge, the web browser, is an important platform for them. And now yeah. they've got their phone platform, or call it "quote unquote" a phone platform. Yeah, two out of their five most important platforms, from like my rough count, are actually Google products. Yeah, and and it, and it's not as if like the vast majority of Azure is running Windows, you know, like it's all Linux. So. But yeah, like it's, it, they're obviously not familiar with developing Android like all up, but obviously they do a ton of Android apps. Like they're one of the biggest Android um, developers and stuff. So, so there's there's the expertise there, but I think there's definitely obviously been some learning over the past year um, and some, some some troubles, and I think that's what we're seeing. But like, I, I don't understand. I can understand how it took so long, but I don't understand why you would then launch the device in that state. Launching the device in, in this state is very, that's what's confusing to me. Um, yeah. Their Android apps are very good. Microsoft's Android apps, I, I'm actually a huge fan of. Um, the The thing that confuses me is, I mean, why'd they launch it? Um, Microsoft is, I, I've tried to get at this in the review, but the way that Microsoft is trying to handle the multitasking, you know, Google built the, the foundational stuff of like multi-window is possible, apps mm-hmm. can like resize to fit the viewport, you know, like they built that. Yeah. But the UI for it is like completely up to the manufacturer. And yeah. so Samsung and Microsoft have done two completely different things. LG is doing its own thing, blah, blah. You look at all the different ways people are trying to like do new weird stuff on top of Android or make Android do new weird stuff. Uh, the one that to me is doing the right, doing it the right way is Microsoft with the Duo. It right. is built into the way that you swipe up. That's built into the way that Windows appear when you try to multitask or you know quote unquote Windows. Um, you I can actually like drag stuff around in the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, it's it's like they've they picked the right thing, but the thing that they picked to do is also like the hardest thing. Samsung just yeah. like well we'll just make our own interface on top of it and that'll be fine. And like <laughs> they did it and it's fine, uh, but it's it's an interface on top of it. Microsoft tried to build it into the core, and uh, yeah, I mean they're, they're they're like compared to Samsung, Samsung's essentially like a bigger screen, so they they have to like optimize for like 
a tablet essentially mm. whereas microsoft has to build apis like hinge aware apis and stuff like for those postures so that when you do open it up and try and take a picture that is like oh okay I know what this dude's trying to do. He's trying to take a picture, but at the moment you open it up and it's like, oh, hey, do you want a selfie? And then you spin it around and it's like, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And you spin it <laughs> yeah. around again and it, like, it, it's it's just a bit, you know, it's it's just uh, like and that, a mess. That hinge awareness that Microsoft worked on is I think what the thing is that Google is like, rolled into Android 11. So like they, like they are working together on stuff. Uh, it's just clear that they need more time. Apparently, last summer of 2019 to now is not enough time to to do it, and that that also makes yeah. sense. Which kind of makes sense, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think Android 11 is drastically going to improve things, but mm. um, I think it's interesting that Microsoft and Google have this like new partnership across Chromium and Android, um, and where they're upstreaming a lot of this work in, in directly into Android. So even whatever they do, if LG does a phone where it's not just like you know the snap on screen or whatever <laughs> like they actually do something like the duo then they have all those hinderware apis to use directly in android if microsoft has upstreamed everything um and i think that's kind of interesting that's cool like that's that's good and i hope like the work that microsoft's been doing with samsung they've been working very closely together um on a lot of different sort of not, not even just beyond the marketing stuff, but like bundling directly into their gallery software. Um, I hope that they, that they manage to come up with something that improves Android for like dual screens and foldables. And then they're all like working in, this is like the perfect dream. <laughs> Samsung, yeah. Google and Microsoft working together, right? Like, um, but the, the question is, are, are Samsung and Microsoft going to work together on like making foldables good and work the same or would they each rather sort of build up their own little ecosystems as i read your duo review and then the z fold 2 review it seems like microsoft obviously the hinge stuff is very complicated to deliver but microsoft did itself a massive favor in saying we're just going to have two independent screens mm -hmm. yeah because they, they never mm -hmm. actually have to window anything right yeah yeah Right, like they're just like this app is on this screen and that app is on that screen and sometimes it's on both screens, but like and you have immediate compatibility, right? Because those, yeah. those apps are designed for that for that display and that aspect ratio, um, but they're not necessarily designed to be great on the on the folds aspect ratio. Um, so that I, I think they took like the the more I, I wouldn't say the more like the harder engineering um, effort, but like I'd, I'd say it's it's a little bit more complex to do what they're trying to achieve, and we're seeing like the downsides to that. Um, well, so what Microsoft did with the decision to go with Android and the decision to go with two independent screens instead of like one big screen that they window like the fold, mm -hmm. they saw, they, they avoided the two like historical problems that have vexed both Android um, and Microsoft itself, which is getting developers to make apps for a new platform or to make apps for a new screen size. Google's never been able to get a, a critical mass of developers to remake their apps for Android tablets, which leads, leads to this vicious cycle of there not being Android tablets, you know, because there's no Android tablets, it's not worth it for developers, because the developers don't do it, nobody wants to buy an Android tablet, and it rolls. And that sort of, take take that out of the context of tablets and just, like, should a developer work on an app for your platform? That's what happened to Windows Phone, right? And so Microsoft knows that problem very, very intimately. <laughs> um, and so they avoided it, which is great. But then they picked up this other problem, which is let's make multi-screen on Android not tacked on but feel in integral to the entire experience of the OS. And that they just can't quite get yet. And I think a lot of it was like trying to avoid the the, the initial problems that Samsung had with the Galaxy Fold, right? Like the, the the screen technology. Like I spoke to Stevie Batish, who's like they're basically the like chief 
scientist. He's like super intelligent guy. Like he knows his shit. It's been there years, like 20 odd years or whatever. Um, and he was just saying, he was just talking about glass and, you know, like going deep into how you can't bend it and like all these different things. And he was, he was I, would, I don't want to say he was laughing about like the idea of a foldable display, but he was, he was basically, he said like, you know, we we were laughing at OLED for like years, like until it became a thing, and it took it took a long time um, for it for it to happen. And, and we're in the same sort of thing. A lot of research is going to have to t- take place, a lot of experimentation, um, but it's just not quite there yet for them. So I'll say this: it's it's a year later, so I will be ever so slightly betray this confidence. Last year, when Panas was in our studio, remember when we had a studio? We would like go places, yeah. people mm-hmm. would visit us, and we were talking about the duo. We go back; to, that was a year ago. Famously, yep. he was like, you're going to be happy with the price on that episode. So are you happy with the price, Neli? <laughs> no, uh, it's okay. ridiculous. But uh, I've been thinking about that episode a lot because he said that. And I remember that we had the first fold in the office that day and he looked at it and he said, oh, I that's knew right. It. And he was like, I knew it. He's like, they have all the problems that that we have seen foreseen with this tech. It's not ready yet. We've mm-hmm. got to get to folding glass to make this work. And I was all, it was all just like off the right. We were just like hanging out before the show. It's a year later and we're on to the second fold and the duo is out. So I'm going to yep. just slightly say that that happened. I won't say exactly what he said, but he was like, I knew it. Yeah. And that would, to me was like, that was a light bulb moment for me that every, like what does Samsung do? It races out ahead of the hardware being ready. Right. Right. They're a hardware innovation company. And Microsoft waited to to get a software experience right. But so, like the, he, Tom, they're, they're doing it with OLED. So Samsung races ahead. You could you could say Samsung is the company that's like unafraid to make the embarrassing hardware, right? They raced out ahead on foldables. They raced out ahead on OLED. I guess you could say they raced out ahead of big phones. They just want to make the new thing. Um, and if it like turns out that like, and sometimes they're right, and people are like, oh well. Now we'll have to fat follow them, and it happens a couple of years later. I don't think enough people give Samsung enough credit for like being they are they are into innovative. It's just a little bit early sometimes. Yeah, Samsung's yeah. like we put an Android tablet in a refrigerator. Is this what you want? <laughs> We're gonna make it for three years, and, and like that's I that's like that that's their function. I think it's very interesting. I think that's not Microsoft's function, and no. importantly, that is really not how they have been talking about the duo. Mm-hmm. Right. They have been saying this is a new form factor. It's a new way of thinking. Panos has what's the joke about the surface? The third one is always the best one. It takes three generations of the hardware to get there. Yeah. And he's been saying, you know, internally, this is our third generation. Like we're ready to go. And I just think that there's a disconnect between that and the reality of the product. Yeah. The most amazing thing is that Microsoft is a software company. Like that's literally the heart of Microsoft, right? And like in in a parallel universe where this was perfect software, like what would the reviews have been like? Like yeah. would it have been you know this is a truly crazy experience and like okay the camera's bad but we can forgive that? Like I don't know, but like the the fact that they've fallen over on software is just. That's yeah. great. But I mean, Microsoft has followed on so- over on software and other stuff in the past. Sure. Like the, yeah. you know, the the knock on Windows 10 is you you like you just scratch it and all of a sudden you're back in mm-hmm. you know Windows NT, right? Yeah, you, you're <laughs> back in the registry. Just like just get a little scratch. Wait, Dieter. So actually, address that. There are glimmers here. What are the glimmers you see? Because uh, I asked you when yeah. the, when you had it and the software is bad and you were mad on that Friday that you had to redo it. I was like, is it so bad that it's a like one device bad or like category killed bad. Yeah. 
and you were like, I don't, and then the software came out and now it seems like it's not category killed bad. It's like one device is a little lumpy. Yeah. Like yeah. my original d- debate was, am I like going to be like very angry parent? That's like you failed and you're out of the family. <laughs> or am I going to be like disappointed parent? That's like, I know you can do better, but I'm really disappointed at what you're you pulled out off of the here, family? which is way more, way, way harder. Like feels worse to have the disappointed than the ang- Anyway, um, we're in the disappointment zone. Is where we're at. Okay. <laughs> um, so the glimmers are. You think right now that I don't need to. I don't need two screens on my phone. That's dumb. And I am telling you that sometimes you do. And the reason you don't think you need it or you want it is like it doesn't occur to you or it's hard to do on your phone. But when it's just when the other screen is just sitting there and you could just launch another app on it, it turns out it's great. And it's great in the same way. It has that same sort of vibe as your laptop or maybe a tablet where uh, opening up a second thing, there's no friction to it. There's no, there's nothing stopping you from doing it. And then because it's so easy to do and it doesn't take you out of the first thing that you're doing, all of a sudden you are opening up new ways of using your device or new things that you wouldn't have bothered to do before. It it definitely happens, um, but it, it, it only happens after you like slog through the keyboard randomly appearing when you don't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> But well, I want to get to the Z. We haven't even talked about the Z. We got oh, there's so much to talk about with the Z Fold Two. There's glimmers in the Surface Duo. Yep, they've got to solve the software. The camera is bad. Camera is atrocious. Maybe Mark Lavoie's universal camera app is just going to solve this problem for every phone. You never know. It's so bad. But there's like glimmers of two screens. The Kindle app. Every time I see the Kindle app in anybody's review videos, I'm like, oh, I I want that thing. Okay, they're going to keep going. But it's a totally different. The Z Fold 2 is one big screen, and Samsung is a year ahead of the development curve. Where where do these things land right now? So, the, the, actually, the Z Fold 2, the most important screen in the Z Fold 2 is maybe the cover display is actually usable. So, like, you don't, it doesn't feel cheap on the outside. Uh, the inside is technically glass, but it feels like plastic because, like, there's, like, seven layers on the thing, but only one of those is glass and the rest of them are plastic. So, it's, like, <laughs> it's glass. Um the thing that's interesting about the way Samsung does it is you do have the big stretched out apps, um, but sometimes that's just nice to have a bigger screen. It just You just want the bigger screen, even if the app interface looks kind of dumb. Um, and I don't love the way Samsung is sort of like half Android, half iPad. It, like you pull out this little sidebar and then you can drag stuff around to like position it. And then you like tap on a certain three dots and it does one thing and tap on another one and then you can like you know, move them around or whatever. All of that said, their execution of what I don't, that interface that I don't love compared to last year seems way better. So if you are willing to learn the little slide out dock, learn where to drag the icons around, learn, you know, how that all that works and learn specifically that Android apps don't necessarily look good on the big screen, but if you just like take a second to like you know, save an app pair in that side dock, then you can just always open up, I don't know, Slack and Twitter next to each other or whatever. Then it's great. Uh, but I feel like, well, two things. Uh, one, it, it asks a lot of you, and that's okay for a device like the Z Fold 2 because, you know, it's a nerdy device that's expensive for nerds. And so, like, I'm a nerd, I get it, and it's going to be okay. Uh, but two, like, man, it's 2000 bucks, And I, the, I don't know, the Duo is 1400 bucks, And... In both cases, if you just look at the the functionality you get out of spending that extra money over a $700 phone or even a $350 phone, what you are buying is not, 
oh, I can do this new stuff that wasn't possible before. What you're buying is I have a cool thing that feels cool that lets me open it up. And that is worth some money. And if that's worth $2,000 or $1,400 to you, God bless you. Um, but I, I, I can't sit here and say that even, even with the cool two-screen stuff you can do on the Duo or even with the split-screen stuff you can do on the Fold or like the flex mode, take a picture stuff, whatever, you can do all that stuff on your phone right now. You just can. It's not as elegant or fun and it doesn't feel as uh, awesome, but you could you just do it, except if you have an iPhone because they can't split-screen because Apple's not. <laughs> I, I have a Note 25G now. This is just a long, dumb story, but AT&T's website is so bad that I tried to sign up for DirecTV Sunday ticket, uh-huh. and somehow I ended up trading in my dad's iPhone SE for a Note 25. I don't I don't even know how that this happened. I'm so unhappy that you bought one. I still haven't signed up for Sunday ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't figure it out. But I, this phone arrived, and it is just massively powerful. Mm-hmm. It can split-screen apps. Mm-hmm. It can do anything. The split-screen app on the Note 20 Ultra, by the way, is the exact same interface as the Fold. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get why Samsung's doing it, right? They're mm-hmm. teaching everybody who has their power user phone how to use the interface so that when they inevitably kill the fold and make the note the fold, which is the obvious place for their brands to go. Well, they might kill the note and make the fold the note. I mean, or you know what I mean? Yeah, the, the one that unfolds will be called the note. Like, that's yeah. what it should oh, be. Okay, sure. Right? Like that seems like the correct way for them to go. Oh, they're no, they're just going to use both brands because it's Samsung. It's going to be Fold. Galaxy Z <laughs> Fold Note 5G. Oh god, it will. There's definitely <laughs> convergence going to happen there, though, for sure. Right, because like, what do you really want to do with the? You want to write on it, right? Yeah. yeah, they have to solve that hardware problem of writing on a on a plastic screen. Oh, they've they solved it. They just they haven't released it yet. They wouldn't have teased. They teased it literally in the announcement of the Z Note 2. They had. TM Rowe come on stage and do a little, you know, inter- quote, quote unquote interview. And he's like, it'd be pretty great if there's a stylus on here, wouldn't it? And he's like, yep, yep, it would. We're going to keep innovating. I was like, okay, so you got one. <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be impressive if they solved that, for sure. Anyway, I'm just saying that what they're doing is they're teaching people to use the Samsung multitasking interface. And it, right now, in your Android 11 review, you're like, one of the cons you listed was fragmentation is here. The fragmentation is managing multitasking. Because yeah. the switching cost, to, if you learn Samsung's way, and then you're like, ah, this hardware isn't right. I'm interested in the Surface Duo. You have to relearn how to multitask. That's a nightmare. I, I got I got to say, I said this on Twitter the other day. It was probably slightly trolly, but Google's nowhere near innovative enough with Android. Like it, it genuinely feels a lot of the time that they follow iOS. And I don't think that's like healthy for the Android ecosystem. Mm. Developers, app developers. like a, a lot of people will sit there and say that Android apps aren't as good on on Android as they are on iOS. And yeah, it's true. But like there's, it's, you can't blame the app developers. Like and like Google really needs to push on Android. They need to start being a bit more innovative. The, the I'll, I'll push back on that in a couple of places. Um, with developers, yes, I think developers need more support from Google. Google's big thing is pushing everybody towards Kotlin now um, in the same way that Apple's pushing people towards Swift. Uh, but they need to work harder at that, I think, and they need to provide more support to make those apps just... I don't think... I'm not saying Kotlin makes your apps better, but they, they need to help developers make these apps for these new form factors and just make them higher quality in general. So that's A, yes. B, in terms of uh, innovation on the OS... I think it's a, it's a split. I think that in terms of privacy features, in terms of 
security stuff uh, in terms of like updates that, yeah, they're following iOS or they're behind. Um, but they're way more willing to try out some like random stuff um, in other areas. So the notification system specifically for like chat apps in Android 11 is so good. I'm literally angry at every phone that doesn't have it now. You can have priority conversations. So like the specific threads from the people you care most about, like are at the top and give you a different kind of notification. And then you've got all the rest of your chat apps sitting right there. You can have them up in bubbles if you want. And the, the, the thing about the bubble system for chat apps in Android 11 is it has solved in a certain weird notification-y way the problem that Android has with multiple messaging apps. Everybody on, on Apple uses the iPhone. Everybody on Android has to use five or ten different apps. Well, with this new priority conversation thing, with this new conversations up in the top of notifications, and with the fact that you can have bubbles, if you... If you turn Bubbles on, you have one icon to tap, and that opens up a little tabbed interface that could have WhatsApp and Telegram and Facebook Messenger and Android messages in it. You just, they just it, it, they're just all in one place. You're technically running all those different apps, but it feels just like one thing that you're doing. It's like a floating widget, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like a floating widget. So, you know, back in the day, if we if we wanted to, we could talk about how WebOS was amazing because oh they integrated every single oh chat God. service into a single app via Synergy, and it was okay. great. And then Windows Phone copied that. And then Windows Phone copied that. Mm. Th those days are gone. That's never coming back. What <laughs> Google has done is replicated that in the notifications area and with bubbles. I, I'm at the point where, like, uh, I just feel like iOS notifications should just be disabled because they're just so bad. <laughs> they're so bad. You know, so Tom, your point, like, I know, I, I just installed Android 11 on my Pixel, and then I found myself, like, having to read Dieter's piece to find all the new things. Oh, yeah. Right, like, which is fine. I, like, almost always end up doing that, but they this time it, they were particularly subsumed, right? It's usually with Android, they just, like, move things around. You're like, oh, that's new. Like, swiping <laughs> up from the bottom to something totally different this year. That's fun. I'm going to learn that. This year, it's, like, very subsumed. I think they're in a state where, one, everyone is building on their platform. And then, two, everything is so mature that big revolutionary changes are too costly. And then, to get switchers from iOS, they have to lower that switching cost. So, why does the power menu and the smart home stuff look a little too much like Control Center? So the your average iOS user is like, oh, I get it. I don't have to think about this. It's basically the same thing. It's at like the fundamental level I've always find when I switch to Android. And I do it like probably once a month. Like I'll play with Android for like a few days. Um, and it's just like gestures, animations, like core, like really core basic stuff. Like that they obviously followed on the iPhone 10 um, and all that stuff. And that's obviously well documented. But it's just it's fundamental stuff that I feel like they just haven't really addressed over the years. And I know that there's like a bunch of different Android hardware. So like... It's difficult, um, and it's, it's the Windows problem as well. Like Windows feels a bit more messier than Mac OS because it's legacy and it supports a bunch of devices and wah wah wah. Um, but like, I just feel like there's nothing I miss when I'm on an iPhone that I'm like, oh damn. Like, apart from the openness of Android itself, but like, there's no like dedicated like stuff in the software OS that I'm like, God, I really need Android. But you're look, you're looking at Pixels, right? Yeah, I mean, I like I like Samsung does some great stuff as well. Um, but Pixels, the Samsung yeah. phones are crazy. Yeah, they like, are, that's what they're good at. They're like, now this camera has forty five new modes. <laughs> yeah, let's try one of those. And like Google isn't doing that work, and I don't think Google thinks it's its responsibility. I don't know. Like I feel like mm. 
Like that, I think that's why I'm kind of excited at the fact that Microsoft and Samsung and Google, if they can like start working together a bit more and like stop trying to bully each other. It's the opposite <laughs> side of the antitrust argument. <laughs> wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If those three merge and they end up going with Microsoft's smartphone as like their like iPhone competitor, you know what we'd have? A duopoly. All right. Oh, God. And that was the last episode of the Vergecast. <laughs> it was great. That's the sort of thing you say for tweets, dear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've gone too long talking about Android phones. The reviews are out. Dieter has been cranking away on them. He had to hold, he heard it. He had to reshoot the whole Duo one. Go watch it. We're going to take a break. Come back. we got to talk about the Xbox. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, Tom. Yeah. You have just like dummy Xboxes at your house. <laughs> I do. What is going on? <laughs> you just have like plastic shells. You're just making but, videos with like. Shall I tell you the story of my week? Of, yes, of the please Xbox. do. So they arrived on Monday morning. And like, you know, like I'm a grumpy. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm old, but I'm like getting there. I, I get a new phone or I get a new laptop and it does not excite me. Like, and I know that sounds like really elitist and, and I'm like, I'm in a, a really fortunate position, but like, once you've seen so much stuff, once you visit a location so many times, it just doesn't, it's not exciting. Right. Um, so it's very rare for me to get excited about technology, but like gen- genuinely when I opened up the series S, I was like, wow, this is like, I was like, <laughs> Wait, you, you are not excited by a brand new laptop with the latest graphics card and a super fast processor and a ton of RAM and a beautiful 4K screen, but you were excited by a plastic dummy box of the Xbox Series S. <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I don't know why, but it was like, it was, it was, I don't know. Like, it sounds really like fanboy or something. It sounds like, but it was like Christmas. I was like, oh, this is so, there's something, because I hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. And I knew other people hadn't seen it before, so it was like an element of that. But it was also just like, oh my god, this thing's so small! And like, how did how did they do this? So that was like that was my immediate thing. Was like, oh, how are they like what? I wanted to know everything about it, right? Um, and they hadn't told me anything about it at this point, so they just sent me these damn dummy units, and I was just like, huh? <laughs> when I opened it up, 
But yeah, so the dummy units arrived. They were supposed to be... I mean, they were supposed to be announcing this thing next week. So there was going to be a bunch of like highly technical embargo sessions where, you know, briefings with the press. So they give us the full information so that we'd have articles that were like pretty informative for people to read. Uh-huh. That's great for everyone involved because like it just means that I can explain things better. Uh, readers get a better picture. Um, but then it leaked. So I woke up. I can't even remember which day it leaked because it's just been such a week. Um, but it leaked at some point. It was Tuesday or Wednesday. And I woke up and I was like, oh, God, like this all happened. And then like that obviously kicked Microsoft into like panic mode. We need to announce everything because everything's leaked. Um, so they like just dumped the whole thing, um, the Xbox pricing, everything. This is a trend because Google does this now. When the thing leaks, they're just like, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> LG just did it with the wing. Yeah. Well, I mean, LG LG announces every single product it makes fifty times, so like, that doesn't really count. <laughs> that's a, but you no, know, it's a it's a pattern. It leaks. We might as well just announce it. We're done. I mean, I think I think with Microsoft's case is that uh, I I've been rumoring this for like what two years, but, but uh, alongside a bunch of other reporters as well. But like, I think for them it was like they needed to explain this thing because like a lot of the a lot of the thing. So let's explain what this is. It's the Xbox Series S. Um, is basically a smaller, more budget-friendly, and and let's say less performant um, Xbox console than the bigger Xbox Series X, which I'm sure most people that are listening to this are probably familiar with by now. And it's basically designed for 1440p gaming. So, like, that's... I mean, I'd say the vast majority of monitors out there are 1080 that people are gaming on at the moment. Um, I don't know the exact on on uh, TVs and stuff, but like let's let's say it's a pretty good, it's a sweet spot for in 40p right now. Um, it's both on the PC side and probably on the console side, so it's like a good target. Um, and like th- they're basically promising a similar sort of architecture and a lot of the next gen improvements from the Series X, like the better CPU. It's clocked slightly under by like 200 megahertz. The thing I care about is does it have the the fast SSD that the Series X does? Yeah, it does. But it's 512 storage instead of one terabyte. So Oof. and there's no drive, yeah. right? There's no drive. So yeah. it's dis- it's discless. It's all digital. Um, it's 299 bucks, which is which is a good yeah. price. Um, I think it's like that's that's a pretty impressive price. Um, but there's obviously the, the the drawbacks to it. No discs. All digital. Digital prices of games are typically higher. You obviously can't use used games. I think they. I'd love to see Sony and Microsoft solve that in some way. I'd love mm. to be able to just send my disc to Microsoft and Sony and just digitize it as well. I think we spoke about that last time. The way I look at like the Series S is, um, I think it's great. Like for if you've got a kid who plays Fortnite like twenty four seven in their bedroom with a ten eighty p TV because you haven't spent you know two thousand bucks on a four K OLED for them. Surprisingly, um, <laughs> like <laughs> I think it's I think it's great for that sort of market. Like I think like you you buy that for three hundred bucks and they get the new CPU, the new SSD, so like the load times um, and the performance overall will be like way better than an Xbox One. Um, but like it just depends how it compares to the to the to the Series X. I think like they're doing some upscaling stuff for 4K if you really want to attach it to a 4K. But I don't know how good that's going to be. Um, but I think that that misses the point. Like it's 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 a different market. But what is the market for 1440p game? I mean, I, when you say monitors, I get it. But most people with 1440p monitors are plugging PCs into them, not consoles. Yeah, it's 1440p at the max. So like, I think the market is really 1080p. 
um, which is which is the a, a lot of TVs um, are still 1080p. I, like I would probably imagine that 40 percent are still 1080p out there at the moment, um, and I think that goes wildly up when you look at bedrooms and like kids' rooms, like where you're buying a typically smaller TV and you're not going to get you you can't even buy it like a smaller like you know a 20 inch 4K TV or whatever. It's, it's just they just don't exist right or i mean maybe they do but like they they just don't sell a volume and i think it's that that's the market um that's the market that i see it's like they're, they're definitely going for like the the mums and the pups that are shopping around at christmas and they want to get their kid yeah. a console and they want to get something that's new and, and, and stuff and, and this thing's only going to come down in price so to me the market for the series s is uh well, I definitely have to buy a PlayStation because I want to get those games. And mm. if it's good, if I'm going to buy a PlayStation, maybe I'll get the best one because I don't know what's going on with the, the cheaper one and what they're going to do there. Yeah. And so if I've done that, well, I still kind of want an Xbox because I'm thinking about getting this Xbox uh, Game Pass thing because you get all these games on it. But I don't want to have two big ass consoles in my living room. Uh, so I'll just I'll get the the cheaper Xbox. So I'll get the cheaper Xbox to play Xbox Game Pass games, and then I'll get the more expensive PS5 to be like my main console that I get like my kick ass 4K stuff on. It is so blindingly clear which one of you has a child and which one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> Very obvious how your perspectives have shifted. <laughs> so yeah, like, like I would say Game Pass is the th- Tom. To your point, the Game Pass is the thing here. Right. Like yeah, if this is a sure. box for your second TV or yeah. your kids TV, then what you need is a cloud gaming service that can address yeah. all the Xboxes. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a disc, like it doesn't matter because all the games are on the cloud anyway. And you're just moving those licenses around and maybe you're going to get to to streaming games and this thing will be able to just stream the games. Right. Like you kind of see where they're going is that these are just sort of client units for an Xbox service with different GPUs. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's different. I mean, the memory's slightly different. You can argue a bunch of specs, and people have been tweeting me a thousand times a minute this week. But you can argue a bunch of stuff. But the, the essential difference between the two is that one's targeting lower resolution monitors and TVs, and the other's targeting 4K. Like that. That's that's basically the basic gist of the. If you want to really simplify it, um, and I think the cheaper one is really going to appeal to the Xbox Game Pass market, um, like that. That is probably the best value in gaming right now. Like, I've, I think it's very. Um, Wait, are you saying but, it's not Apple Arcade? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and like, they just added EA Play, although they didn't add it to base Xbox Game Passes to the Ultimate, so you have to you have to pay the Ultimate. All price. of the Xbox names are bad and confusing. <laughs> well, and then the, there's the PC. There's the version that you can also play it on PC, which now costs more, right? Yeah, so that's gonna be ten bucks a month. But I feel like that's. I mean, if you've got Xbox. Game Pass Ultimate that that covers you on PC anyway, so I feel like you just I don't know most people would go for the Ultimate anyway. I think so. You've got the 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 Series S the the we'll call it the 1080p model because I think yeah. that's functionally what it is. Even though it yeah, basically yeah. two ninety nine. Mm-hmm. The Series X, which is the four K high refresh rate refrigerator yeah. refrigerator. <laughs> refrigerator model uh, monolith model is four ninety nine, which is actually still very aggressive yeah. in my mind. Just based on what it can do, and then X Pass, X Pass, the names are bad. <laughs> Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, yeah, is twenty five bucks a month, and then there's fifteen a month. It's fifteen, 15 a month. A month. Yeah. But if you pay more, and then you get a box out of it too, right? For for twenty four months, you 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 pay the subsidized. You it, it's like a phone plan basically. You get you you pay a little bit more, and then you 
are paying down your hardware and installments. And it's basically the tech industry only has one business model, which is to be AT&T in 2004. Yeah. But right. But that's a killer deal, right? It's, yeah. You actually end up paying less over the 24 months than you would if you bought them separately. Right. It, it, and you can get either, right? For the. Yeah. You can get the X, which I think is thirty four ninety nine a month, I think. Yeah. 30, 35 basically a month or 25 for the S. Like I, I see that. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get the X. It, it, it's like, whatever. Like I, I'm going to do the dumb Starbucks math, which is like, it's three coffees a week or like whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like, and then I'll have, and that is just like a brilliant move from Microsoft. Right. Yeah. yeah. To basically make an expensive thing seem cheap, even though it's maybe in the end, it's only slightly cheaper than just buying everything out. Right. And then we have no idea what Sony's going to do. No, I mean, like, I think at the very aggressive end, Sony could go three nine nine on the digital edition, and like, mm-hmm. I mean, they they could do that um, and try and make up, you know, the loss because I mean, Microsoft's losing money. I think they're probably losing money on both those consoles, to be honest. Um, and I think if Sony goes three nine nine, they'll one hundred percent be losing money. Um, but they can make it up with digital sales, right? Like they they're getting the thirty percent cut, you know, the Apple cut. Um, <laughs> on on everything so so they can make it up but like that's an aggressive price point i'd i'd be really surprised if they go 399 but i think 449 is probably more likely um, mm, but 399 would little. be 399 would be like a headline you know like that would be a truly truly crazy price and it's not it's not you know beyond the realms of that happening so when are we expecting sony to respond I don't know because I'm I'm so because Microsoft was supposed to do all this stuff next week. I'm sure Sony knows that um, because you know that's the the way this stuff works. So maybe next week for Sony, if okay. they're going to like respond. I mean, it's here. It's like fall. It's console season. It's like like it's it's got to be real soon because Microsoft starting pre-orders on the twenty second of September, I believe. That's right. Yep. So I'm, I'm, Sony's going to have to announce before then. Surely they don't want people just. I can just feel myself signing up for Game Pass Ultimate and a Series X for 35 bucks on this show. Like, it's, it's coming the for dumbest you. money I'm going to spend this year. Yeah. Like, I still haven't oh. played half of the games I bought for my PS4 this year. Yeah, you're going to you're gonna be paying 35 bucks a month for this hardware, uh, 15 of which is, like, a game subscription, and then you're just going to buy Madden and only play Madden. I'm... I think I, EA sent me a code. I don't have to buy it. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it is, it is kind of crazy value. Plus basically all of those games that are on Xbox game pass ultimate. You'll also be able to stream on xCloud. And that's like, that's the, which is cool yeah. as well. Right. Um, I mean, I think that if Microsoft is going to find a way to win this generation, it will be with that thing. Yeah. Xbox game pass is 100% key to, to what they're doing. So, and actually just to put a tiny, tiny little like, callback to our last segment you said that there's you there's when you're you, you're on your iphone you don't miss anything from android streaming video games and a little bit of Fortnite <laughs> is definitely the thing that is like bringing me back to two things android and big screens i'm like i'm back to being a big screen phone guy specifically because of x cloud and a little bit of stadia yeah like google's google's openness to cloud game streaming and like just all the windows integration really is like tempting me over to android i must say but like it's just the lock-in isn't it so but yeah i game pass is just i'm impressed with what they're doing I've, I, I, there's a general meme isn't it like xbox doesn't have any games um yeah. and like there was i i think it would be very different if halo infinite was launching with this console and stuff like 299 for a console and you you can get xbox game pass and you get halo like that would be, I think Halo would have possibly been a system seller if they'd actually 
you know, launched it properly. But yeah, it's not. And they've got to fall back onto EA and to Game Pass to, to sort of make this valuable. But, but I mean, it's, it's good for everyone, right? Like you get such a such value out of Game Pass. You get, we'll you get all of Microsoft's first party games, which is in itself is kind of crazy. But you get EA Play now and just a, like a hundred other games. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. So that's the context on the console side. Tom, you also looked at the NVIDIA RTX 3080 this week. I did, yeah. It seems like the PC side is accelerating in a different direction. Yeah. What's going on there? Yeah, so NVIDIA kind of are promising a breakthrough, essentially, like the biggest breakthrough in PC gaming since 1999, um, which is, is, you know, quite the statement. Um, I think, like, the story of the the, the 38 is it's coming now with these next-gen consoles, like, basically alongside them. And I think it's coming at the right time. Like, they, they did the 2080 a couple of years ago. Um, and with the 2080, they tried to promise ray tracing, DLSS, um, all these. And DLSS essentially is like AI oversampling, uh, the super sampling of um, of games. And the ray tracing stuff wasn't there. Like I couldn't even review both these things back then. Like it was all just super early. The games weren't ready. Uh, game developers weren't ready. Consoles just didn't have ray tracing, right? But all this stuff is there now. So like they've got all their like ducks in a row. Like everything is in Nvidia's place. Um, for for PC gaming this year, and they've also got the performance jump. So I think they're going to get all the people who are on like the 1080 series cards upgrading. Um, they're promising double the performance of the 2080, more performance than the 2080 Ti. Like there's there's a lot of bold claims, um, which obviously need to be proven out in review. Um, but I think it's I think it's going to be essentially if if all the performance is correct, um, it's going to be the point where you could buy a 4K gaming pc at a more reasonable cost now because like you had to go with a 2080 ti last time and that was 1200 bucks which was you know what was it 1300 bucks 1299 i think something like that around that amount um which is a crazy amount of money for a graphics card and i think it kind of that sticker shock was like felt throughout the the industry everyone was like whoa and the 2080 just wasn't just wasn't there for 4k gaming really um the sort of frame rate you'd expect whereas the 3080 should be um, and like really give you a pretty, pretty good um, experience there. And I think that's going to be the story. Well, and I mean, if that if that turns out to be true and they can get the frame rates at 4K, like that is going to change a million things about the PC industry and gaming PC industry. Like if I want to go buy a good gaming monitor right now, I like absolutely do not want a 4K monitor. Just nope, do not. I, I'm, I'm looking for a refresh rate, looking for 1080. I'm looking at a bunch of other specs. But if all of a sudden I trust that my graphics card can push 4K, I'm now waiting for the monitor industry to catch up. And so there'll be a, a cycle of other things that come from this card if, in fact, it pans out. It's very important. It should push the prices of 4K monitors down, um, especially the ones that deliver, like, you know, your 144, um, all that sort of stuff that look like the real gaming monitors. But it also, like, I really hope that it pushes Microsoft to sort out Windows on 4K because it's, it's not very good. <laughs> the experience of, like, <laughs> plugging a 4K monitor into into the 3080 was not fun. <laughs> can either the, the Series X or the PS5 do high refresh rate 4K? They can, right? Yeah, so they can do, uh, I think it's 120 FPS. And, like, they're using AMD stuff. So, like, that's essentially FreeSync. To, to the monitors, uh, to, to the TVs. And so you need a FreeSync TV. I'm just saying that the split here, right, is like kind of interesting. You've got the cheaper consoles, which obviously have these subsidized gaming business models behind them, right? Plugging into a, a generation of TVs, it isn't quite there. Like we had a deal on, we posted a deal 
about Sony OLEDs today. They're cheap, but like, and I would just like have flippantly bought it, but it can't do 120 Hertz of 4k, right? Like you shouldn't, if you're that kind of person, you shouldn't buy that thing right now. If you're going to plug a Roku into it, you should, right? But like, just to underline that, uh, if you are going to buy a TV, you actually need to do a little bit of extra research. Don't assume that if it says like PlayStation 5 ready or Xbox Series X ready, that it actually means for sure that it will do all the stuff. Because some TV makers are playing a little bit fast and loose with some of that terminology. Yeah, and you, you, you want like HDMI 2.1. Some of these some of these TVs are coming with G-Sync support as well. Like yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't think there's like the perfect monitor yet. Personally, no, it, it hasn't come out. And what, but what's interesting is the split on the console side and the, and the PC side. Yeah. Right. Like we're kind of talking about the same things, which has never really happened on the PC and the, and the console side before. We're talking about 4K high refresh rate, mm-hmm. right? Like high frame rate. But the business models are so different that the price points are radically different. And then the displays just live in different universes of cost. Yeah. Right, like you should be able to buy the next generation Vizio with all the specs in 2.1 for like 700 bucks. But it's a Vizio TV and the pixel density is all over the place compared to a gaming monitor, right? Like, because they're just bigger. Yeah, like the way that they're the, the generate this generation, like it's crazy close. Like, I, I think for like for the vast majority of people, they pick up a PS5 or Xbox Series X, that's going to be more powerful, more capable than you know the vast majority of people who are playing Steam games, which are playing at 1080p on like a 1060 or whatever they're playing on. Like, it's going to be those, those consoles are going to be way more capable. And like, I do, I do wonder how many people go from PC to console. Like, I, I think, I think there would be more of that sort of switch if there was more better keyboard and mouse support. Because I think that's that's why a lot of people like PC gaming rather than using the sticks. But yeah, I mean they're getting so close. It's it's going to be a super interesting generation, especially now that they all like. I think I think a key thing is that they all they're all going to have like SSD capabilities. Like the next gen consoles are just straight up SSD, but like PCs obviously still have to support a bunch of different drives. But I think I think there's going to be a point in this generation where we'll definitely see games that are like you have to have an SSD on the PC. Um, so like that's going to push that for sure. Whereas PC CPUs have already have always pushed, you know, the the, the CPU side of games um, in the past. So like it's, it's like a more of a level playing ground, but but obviously the PC is still far ahead. But it's, it's especially what Sony's doing with the SSD tech as well. Like they they're really like going leaps and bounds over what what's happening in the PC space yet. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It's funny that we start all this because you just have two empty plastic boxes of Xboxes <laughs> in your house. Like soon Tom will fill in the boxes and we'll know more. We got to take a break. We got to talk about this Apple event next week. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Apple event next week. This was a... I feel like the underlying theme of this week's episode is big company PR operations just being upside down. So we were expecting some kind of Apple event soon. It's time. We knew that like there's a bunch of rumors, a bunch of stuff is coming. And then... Like apple.com slash event or some URL <laughs> like that appears. On, appears. This cannot have been the plan. People see it on Twitter and you go to the page and it says, you know, the date and the time of the Apple event. And at the, 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 the headline, the big H1 title of the page is Apple event. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's going to be an Apple event. And like, let's, and bam, everyone goes. The September Apple event machinery across the tech media landscape kicked <laughs> into gear. What happens in September? They put out a new iPhone. Like yep. it was like hitting the knee with a hammer. Everyone just kicked. Yeah. Like well, same reflex just happened. The thing is, it's not unreasonable because we knew that they had said in the last earnings call that we should think about iPhones not coming till October. But um Apple has announced things well ahead of releasing them in the past. And like, who knows what the rules are with uh, the pandemic right now. And that sounded like a, a, a launch, like not a launch thing, but like a ship date. Yeah. Is yeah, that- exactly. Anyway, so everyone goes. We go. Garmin and Bloomberg goes. The whole world goes. iPhones in September. And then like the Whisper Network kicks in. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like, all, yeah, like literally the birds start tweeting. An owl landed on my window and was like, no iPhones. Like, uh <laughs> So everyone gets this information at the same time, which is hold your horses, go back and listen to earnings call. It's not, this is not that. And then they, the invites come uh-huh. and the invites say time flies. Yep. And then everyone's like, oh shit, it's the, they're just going to do the watch. Yeah. So next week, September 15th, there's an Apple event. Mm-hmm. We now feel fairly confident in saying, given that it's called time flies, that we will mostly be seeing an Apple watch. There are some whispers of potentially an iPad, the Apple Music for Android app was updated with rumors of this Apple One services bundle. Maybe we're going to hear about that. There's this tile tracker thing that they've been working like maybe some of this other stuff, but it feels like there's a watch event. They'll bundle some other stuff into it. And yep. the big iPhone event that we usually see in September is going to happen a few yeah. weeks later in October. Honestly, the more things that they decide to like just uh, chuck into this event, air tags, a little baby home pod, the Apple One service bundle, the more that they chuck into this event, the bigger a deal the iPhone's going to be. If the, if it, if this turns out to just be like Apple Watch, iPad, we're out, then it's like, oh, so you're going to, all this other stuff that we're waiting on, you're going to like have in the iPhone event? Well, that means you're not going to have a lot of time to talk about the iPhones. So maybe they're not that exciting. Yeah. I think Apple has the same. So there was a rumor that Apple is ordering more iPhones than usual. They're expecting a, a, a wave of sales. Well, it's this, you know, the, the iPhone 11, the, we don't think they're going to do an 11S, right? And then the way they've been doing their models, they're sort of like repackaging. They're not selling the old one for cheaper anymore. You know what I mean? Like right. they've moved sort of the iPhone 8, 
the iPhone SE into that zone of the cheaper one. Okay, so then you think they're going to do a 5G iPhone. We've already heard rumors about all this stuff. They're yeah. four screen sizes, whatever. 55 cameras, three <laughs> LiDAR sensors. 45 um, million Google engineers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like the thing is, is, it'll have a new design in 5G. Those are the things you're going to get. And it, it makes sense because 5G would necessitate an antenna redesign, which sort of inherently with all these phones necessitates a form factor redesign. So anytime the form factor shifts, they sell more phones. That's just the way it has consistently gone for Apple over the years. It goes for every filmmaker. Despite everything that we have been telling you on the Vergecast, uh, market people who have like actual consumer market data research say that people are actually looking for 5G. Who? Heavy side. The only people they're surveying are like the CEOs of telecom companies. Yeah, I've asked companies like, why are you pushing 5G? It's not ready and like, it, it's, this is annoying. And they're like, well, that's like when we get the top five list of what customers are actually asking for in carrier stores, 5G is like at or near the top. No, that's just they're just wandering in the store confused. <laughs> they're looking <laughs> for solace. They're like, what is 5G? Why do I want it? <laughs> it's because they've been, it, there's such a hype around it, or there was, um, around it just being everywhere. On your, you yeah. know, in your freaking freezer. Yeah, they're like they they think that Bill Gates is doing it to cause COVID. <laughs> they don't know what it is, or they've heard that they don't need home broadband anymore. Like, meanwhile, here in the U.S., uh, <laughs> I think it was PC Mag did the test, and like five G is slower than four G in a lot of areas in the U.S. You see, in, yeah. in the U.K., we just burned the phone master of five G. Like, I'm, I'm about to just go out and do that after the after we're done here. Tom, don't <laughs> don't make that joke. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. but, it's a lot of a lot of five G conspiracy danger stories. Anyway. New form factor iPhone is the thing that we're expecting, which means it makes sense that they would pack in all the little stuff yeah. so that the iPhone gets its whole moment. And maybe this Apple one thing where you pay the money, you get all the services, you get a new iPhone every year. A new way to buy an iPhone is a whole moment. What I think is underneath that, the question mark I have against all this is let's say it is a 5G iPhone and that's its feature. Yeah. Who will use it? Because we're all at home with Wi-Fi. Yeah, they were all at home with Wi-Fi and the networks aren't quite there. And like yep. th- that question, maybe around the world, it's different. The rest of the world, uh, mm, most places have comprehensive national testing plans. They didn't They didn't just surprise Google with a website idea that they had on a flowchart. But OK, maybe around the world, maybe in China, other places where Apple has big markets, they will be able to do it. But is that is this the time to drive that stuff? And I think that's like the open question for the October event. Mm-hmm. And I think next week, like you said, Dieter, if they pack next week with stuff, then we know where the focus is. If next week is, here's a new watch, it's got some new features, here's a new iPad, it, it looks kind of like the iPad Pro, we'll, we'll kind of know how this breaks. I'd be, I'd be surprised if they do the Apple tax thing next week. I feel like that's going to be intrinsically linked to the iPhone, right? My guess is next week will be focused. They'll, they'll do the watch, they'll update the watch. Yep. And, and they might do this iPad. There are rumors. Yeah. But like, here's a, here's another problem they got to solve. Usually there's the iPhone event. And then in October, there's the iPad update event. And all the OSs are already out because they all come out alongside the iPhone. They cannot put out iOS 14 ahead of the new iPhone. Well, they might not be able to put out the new Apple Watch without the new iOS version. Because often yeah. those things are tied together. So like the timing and the TikTok of when when their OS updates are going to hit and when their products are going to hit is like, who knows what's what the plan is. Right. Do you announce a new iPad and put out iPad OS 14 ahead of iOS 14? <laughs> wow. Like that, that seems nonsensical. Or do you just announce the stuff and say it's all coming out in mid-October? I, I mean, that could be. 
Can we talk about the watch for just a second? Uh, yeah. Because so there's two things I'm curious about. One, there's a rumor that they're gonna just do a lower cost version instead of just selling one that's a couple years old as a low cost version, which is parallel to the trend with the iPhone itself, which is really interesting. So I'm wondering if that'll happen and if I thought that'll work. And sure. But two, uh, the Apple Watch is a health focused device, and so Apple is gonna have to walk this tightrope of talking about a health focused device in the midst of a pandemic when the only health anybody is thinking about is whether or not they you know are getting tested. For COVID. Yeah. I don't know how they walk that tightrope, but it's going to be tough. I feel like there's got to be some new hardware or some... Like, I, I need a reason to get a, an Apple Watch Series 6. I think I'm on the 4. And, like, the 5 was like, yeah, cool, the screen. But, like, there has to be something um, health-focused, I think. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, there's nothing else for them to throw on there that would be really compelling for people at this point, I don't think. Yeah, it's basically a well-being device. It's health and fitness and your, your notifications from your phone. That's basically what you use it for. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, if they make the screen bigger again, I'll be very happy. <laughs> right? I mean, they, they've got a little bezel left to go. So right. I, th- I think they're happy with this. But, like, there's there's iterative changes. But I think the reason I finally bought one was when the 4 came out and the screen got bigger. Right. And then, right, the 5 was like, okay, great. The Great. It's like the screen's on all the time. There's, like, just that quality of life usage. Like, the screen's a little better than the always-on display can do a little bit more. Mm. Dude, I think you're right. They can't really talk about how healthy it's going to make you. Without also being like, also, we run this exposure notification program with Google because of the pandemic. Well, it's, it's like in previous years when Apple has like touted health features, they've had to walk this line of, you know, it's FDA approved, but it's not like FDA, you know, whatever the language is uh, that the FDA has like looked at it and said, you're not going to kill people. But it doesn't mean that it's actually a health device. Um, and so selling people on health features in normal times is tricky because you need to make sure you're not overclaiming what it can do. And I think that just applies doubly right now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And then I think this potentially this this new iPad, we'll, I mean, we'll see. Like there, there are just a lot of rumors. You can go look at them. But the real question for me is, is if it's just a form factor shift and it's just a replacement for like the base iPad, then they've got the iPad Air sitting there that Yeah. I actually think it's gonna be flipped. I think I think they're gonna keep the base the base iPad iPad because it's they 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 can make that thing so cheap and they want to get that into schools. So they like they just want that price to go down, 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 and they'll keep that same form factor forever if they have to. And the the, the more likely thing is they'll replace the iPad Air with uh with this form factor. Yeah, I think that's that's way more likely. All right, Dieter. What port will it have? <laughs> <laughs> what the the iPad? Yeah, well, oh, this new iPad. Mm, oh, god! What if they? <laughs> what if they go with the iPad Pro form factor, the iPad Pro smart connector on the back, but they stay with Lightning? I will. I will. It, I know it's a virtual event, but I will get in my car and drive <laughs> down and socially distance protest outside <laughs> the Apple campus holding up a sign that just says USB-C. I'm just going to, it's going to be like. Hey, you hold up an, an iPad Pro with USB-C. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be like John Cusack with the boombox, oh but God. it's just going to be me with a sign that says USB-C. Just that's, have that image in your head. I've, it's like the thing I've been thinking, like that form factor, if they put a lightning port on, like. They've they've maintained that the pro thing is USB C and that yeah that's where they've stayed. I just want the USB C on the iPhone. Thank you. Yes. Right, come what on. What the hell? I'm nah. over USB C. I want to write a, a stunning takedown of USB C. Yeah. When I get all when I get some free time. What are you gonna What are you gonna replace it with? It's just a mess. It, no, that, that that is true. The cardinal sin of USB C is trying to send enough power through it to run a laptop. Yeah. If they had just you know, kept it. So. it Oh yeah, if they had just 
not tried to do that. Hmm. Let me introduce you to all the different USB-C generations as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's yeah. just like not, but like that's, it's so the thing that keeps it from doing all the things that A did with a better connector. And yeah. then obviously like Apple, like shoving Thunderbolt into it. Mm. it. It's all confusing, but on a laptop in particular, it's, I have a 16 inch MacBook pro. You can't send 96 Watts through everything so Neela, i think the the reason you feel like that is because you have a lightning cable to charge your iphone and as a person that has a usb-c port on their phone having the same cable i could just like unplug my laptop and plug my phone into it and to get a real fast charge incredibly fast charge on my phone off of that same cable without any fuss is pretty amazing that is why apple should put usb-c on the iphone yeah and and, and to be honest all the problems with usb-c will be fixed with usb-4 right like we've yeah, heard that course. before. Right? There'd, be no, there'd be no problems whatsoever. Yeah. So that's the last episode of the version. I'm kidding. I don't know why I keep saying that. Vergecast is going to continue. Next week's going to be big. As Tom said, we're expecting some PS5 news, maybe, but we definitely know there's an Apple event. This is going to happen. We'll be back on Tuesday. We've got one last interview show coming on Tuesday, and then we're taking our break before Decoder. Vergecast. It's all. It's growing. It's all happening. Uh, Tom, thank you for being here this week. No worries. Uh, you can tweet at us. Dieter's at Backlon. Tom's at Tom Warren. I'm at Reckless. We're running a survey right now. Go to voxmedia.com slash pod survey. We're just every so you know this every so often we look for feedback on our shows. What makes you listen? What you like? Don't like voxmedia.com slash pod survey. Uh, interested in your feedback. Dieter's got a newsletter called processor. It's the virgin.com slash newsletter. Casey's got one on democracy, basically. Usually we say social media and democracy, but is there any difference? Uh, it's called The Interface. It's the version.com slash interface. We'll be back next week and then with the chat show. It's next week's going to be big. A lot yeah. going on next week. Pay attention. That's it. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. EU. You-